Well, good morning, family. I'm so excited to preach to you today. Our text is a text of peace. Everybody say peace. Our texts today are teaching us about the reality that is not uncommon to God's people throughout the ages. God's people are longing for peace, true peace. Isn't that true of us today, church? Now, I'm going to spend a bunch of time today in our Isaiah passage and then connected to Psalms near the end. But before we dive into Isaiah, I want to give some context. Isaiah, in the chapters previous, chapters 1 through 39, is called to speak as a prophet of the word of God to God's people who have been rebellious. And Isaiah was a contemporary of other prophets who were also exhorting people to relinquish sin while also lamenting the plight of God's people in their exile. In fact, others like Jeremiah and Lamentations used a similar language that is used here in Isaiah chapter 40 to explain the circumstances of God's people. But it was in a negative light or bad news due to their captivity. Listen to the prophet of Lamentations. Lamentations 1 Verse 2 says, he weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her, comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. And in verse 16 of that same chapter, you get, for these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for my comforter is far from me. One, to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. But in our chapter today, we have a prophecy of a turn of events, which serves as an outline for the rest of Isaiah. It was a reversal of sorts. So it begins by saying, comfort Comfort, comfort my people. It is a double down, assured comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort my people. Church, do you need comfort today? Oh, that was weak. Church, do you need comfort today? Yes, we need comfort. This word is a good word. It's good news. For us, my friends, although their their exile was just due to their idolatry and rebellion, God was sending messengers to alert his people that God was not done with them. Dr. William Van Gimmeren, in his Baker Illustrated Commentary, states the exile of God's people is an expression of God's judgment. But he continues saying. The exile was also a time in which God's people could reflect on what they had done. This period of reflection was a way of paying for the damages in order to be restored to fellowship with Yahweh. 
What does that mean? It means that although God is judging his people using exile for their treason or allowing them to have what they want, which is to be in their hands of their enemies through their sin, God is also there in the wilderness. I'm going to say that again. God is also there in the wilderness with them enacting a plan to restore his people through mercy. You hear that, church? God is in the wilderness enacting a plan to restore his people through wilderness. Friends, this word from Isaiah is a word of comfort. Comfort from the wilderness. That's my sermon title for today. Hopefully you get this at the end of the sermon and it sticks out to you like a sore thumb. That God is giving comfort from the wilderness. That one day everything would be restored and there would be true peace. How will this be? What will it look like? Let's dive into the text real quick. Verse 2, it looks like forgiveness for sins. Verse 2 of Isaiah states that God's people received this word as a tender word. That their long history of warfare in which that image is like that of which a military prisoner or refugee is brought back and released has ended. And their iniquity or sin is pardoned. You see, there's a lot of language like, you guys see this in verse 2, double for all her sins being used in verse 2 to explain something that the book of Exodus taught. Treason towards your neighbor and breach of trust towards your neighbor was to be repaid with double by the offender. It is an Old Testament law of restitution. Exodus 22.9, I remember reading this one day, where Exodus 22.9 says, For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing, of which one says, This is it. The case of both parties shall come before God. The one who God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor, to his neighbor. See, you couldn't just steal from your neighbor and it just be Gucci. Couldn't do that. Much like we just can't sin and not be unpunished. Friends, we owe God our allegiance. And when we give it to another, it's like stealing what rightfully should belong to God. And Israel had done this so much from the top down. From the least of these to the greatest of them. They had forgotten their God. And they gave their lives to gods that did not exist. And therefore incurred the sentence of exile. But here the prophetic word is saying the people are going to receive comfort and alleviation from their sins. Because the Lord said, because the Lord said that there is going to be a day when there is ceasefire and pardoning and provision for their sins and their future. 
Friends, the means of which, as you read down, is not quite explicit of what that is. But we know, church, what that came from, right, church? It would indeed be through the Lord's hand. And that would be who? Jesus. You could say, what do you mean say Jesus? It would be Jesus. It would also look like reversal. Verses 4 and 5 says, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. My friends, when the Lord shows up, he reverses all things that are not right side up. You have to understand this, church family, that for God's people, being carried away in the exile and the destruction of their temple would have been devastating. It would have been this. Is God done revealing himself to his people? Is he done with us? Is our covenant voided between us and God? Has God's promise to put a king on the throne of David, an heir there for the throne of David, is that done? No, that's right. Yeah, you can talk to me. No, that's a, that's that's true. <laughs> it's good news. Who will redeem us? Is this question? Their situation was dire. The answer from Isaiah is no. This voice that cries out is especially saying to God's people that though you got yourself into a bad situation, there will be a day when all of this will be reversed. Can anybody testify that you got yourself into a bad situation sometime and God got you out? And I hear somebody testify this morning that you had yourself in a rough spot and God reversed that situation. I don't know. Maybe maybe we don't have enough people who've had that happen. I pray that that happens for you so you can see this truth. Because that's happened to me plenty of times. Got myself into all kinds of trouble and God brought me through. And when God's people as we continue in the text, are lifted out of this situation, whether it's a bad spiritual situation or a physical situation, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed when all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This will happen, church. Do you believe it? When God brings you through it, when God brings us through it, and brings us through those bad situations, God is going to lift us up like a sign for the rest of the world to see. And the glory of the Lord will be shown there. And people will respond. Isn't that good news, church? I'm so thankful for this truth. I was not a Jew. I don't know if you look at me, if you can tell. 
but I'm not a Jew. I'm not. I'm a Gentile. I'm a black man. I didn't receive the promise by birthright. But I would indeed see the glory of the Lord through the testimony of saints throughout the ages, through the testimony of friends and family who proclaim Jesus Christ. And as their testimony said, it's not my strength, it is not my glory, but it's his. When they said that, I was freed of my sin. And I was free and I was liberated. And I was transformed. And I'm so grateful for those testimonies. And I'm so grateful for the promise of God that when we see that all flesh shall glory in him. When God says it will happen, it will happen. And when the mouth of the Lord speaks, it is done. Which is another thing that we look for in the next couple of verses. What else does it look like? It looks like the endurance of God's word despite the weakness of man. Verses 6 through 8 says, a voice cries, says cry. And what I, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Friends, every commentator that I read pointed to this fact. That if we were to be delivered, if God's people were to be delivered, it had to come from God and God alone. God would have to do it. What man is not, God's word is. The contrast is easy to see in our text. A voice says, cry. And don't you, like, love the response from the prophet? And I said, what shall I cry? Good question. What shall I cry? Then the God proceeds to tell him what humans are like, which is not able to stand on its own, but then proceeds to tell him that his word is key principle we are feeble and weak and despite our best efforts from even the best of our people those things are not enough when God's word blows on them oppressed oppressor rich poor Kings, queens, and peasants. Like the flower, which is beautiful today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, as soon as the breath of the Lord blows on them, they shrivel up and melt away like the wicked witch of the West. You guys remember that story? Throwing water on the wicked witch of the West. I'm melting. fades. We fade. We die. We have pain. We sin, sometimes really grievously. We keep things in closets. We hide them.
But that is not so with our God. This same God is giving a promise here that his word would remain and stand forever. And that promise is the gospel seed of peace for God's people and has been interpreted as such throughout all the faithful teachers of God's church. Isn't it nice? Sometimes you're like reading through the Old Testament and you see on your footnotes and your little study Bible and it says, hey, there's a verse that happens in the New Testament. And you go, yeah, I can understand what it means in light of what what somebody who's interpreting it in light of Christ says. And isn't it nice that we get that here in our text? In First Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, Peter quotes Isaiah 40 and says to the fact, and I'm going to paraphrase, that you were born again of an imperishable seed, not of a perishable one. One that will last forever through the living and abiding word of God. And that word is the gospel that was preached to who? To you. God is so merciful that though we are frail, God promises to shepherd us and to care for us and gathers us up and gives us an opportunity to participate in the telling of that good news. We're going to see that more in verse 9 here in a second. And let's continue with this thought about God's merciful care for us, though we are frail. It looks like the power and care of our God. Verses 10 and 11, let's continue. Look at, look with me at 10 and 11, look with me. Verse 10 and 11 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Friends, have you ever been embraced by a strong person that did it in a tender way? Have you ever had that happen to you? Do you have an image when you see this in these verses of a mom or a dad holding you when you were young? Totally strong enough to restrain your flailing out and, I'm hungry. But loving enough not to crush you while holding you back. Or maybe you had a boyfriend a girlfriend, a spouse, a friend holds you tight in a tender way when you are in your most time of need. What God does here is this. With the same arms, he is able to shake the nations, take the spoils of war, rule with terrifying power. And with the same arms, gather little flocks of sheep who are helpless without him into his arms. And the image of him carrying us near his chest 
reminds me of the first time I was able to go skin to skin with my new babies. Some of you have experienced that in that tenderness, in that moment, and how beautiful it was when you're able to put your son or daughter in your bosom and hold them there, strong and tender. That's what I see. What do you see? Either way, Jesus, if you can't see that image, is the gold standard for seeing this truth through the cross and resurrection. Jesus at the cross was strong and merciful. You guys know the song, Jesus Strong and Kind. If you don't, you should listen to it this week. Jesus Strong and Kind. And through his resurrection, he is gathering all his people unto himself. All those who would trust his word. And friends, if we look back at verse 9, this is motivation enough to make us want to tell everybody, like those heralds of old, behold your God. Verse 9, the voice says to the people, God, climb up on a high place and shout with strength the good news of peace like you mean it. And tell your brothers and sisters in Judah and throughout the world, much like in Acts 1-8, Jerusalem and Judea, throughout the world, that there is peace and comfort coming from God. God's power and care is so good that it should ignite us to tell the world of this good news, of this enduring world word that will stand forever. You know what's really crazy about this whole thing? I was blown away by it. This is probably my favorite part of my sermon prep this week. It's verse 3. You know what's crazy about this? The promise is not necessarily just to get them out of the wilderness, but instead is going to come from the wilderness and lead them to Zion. What was the most terrible of places, <coughs> excuse me, to be was also where God's deliverance was coming from. Let me ask you this question. The next time it seems like you're in a wilderness season, what if God has you in that place as a preparation for your deliverance? Would you be cool with that? Would you be cool with that, church? Because look at verse 3 again. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In the desert, a highway for our God. Friends, although natural consequences was that of exile into the wilderness, God would not stay chilling. God himself would journey into the wilderness with him and use it to woo his people like the language used to woo his wayward wife 
his people in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. I hope this goes up on the screen. Hosea 2, verse 14 says, Therefore, therefore, behold, I will allure her, woo her, and bring her into the wilderness and speak, what? Tenderly to her. What seemed like punishment to the people was also a loving husband who was trying to win back his bride. No wonder in the wilderness, when it was time for the fulfillment of this chapter chapter to happen, it would be a locust eating, faithful, wild man, John the Baptist, who would call all of God's people to be baptized for the forgiveness and repentance of sins, to return to a chaste living unto the Lord and to prepare themselves for their husband to come speak with them the eternal gospel, the word that will endure forever, and he would do it from the wilderness. And this is where Psalm 85 and Isaiah Isaiah 40 kind of kiss each other. While Isaiah 40 is talking about a distant future, a returning from exile. Psalm 85 is most likely about those who have returned from exile, receiving the grace of God. But the mission is still not complete. The people are in trouble. The nation is not completely restored. And the fulfillment of this message is still lacking. It's a corporate lament in which God's people are asking Will you deliver us again? And the question is answered in both texts with a resounding yes. In fact, in Psalm 85, 12, it says, yes, the Lord will give us what is good. But then there's silence for hundreds of years. And then Jesus steps Onto the scene. But it was not what the world or even his people expected. It was out of obscurity came the Son of God in a manger. Our very deliverance for those who would accept the message That Christ Jesus came, died, and rose again so that anyone who would trust in him will receive peace through his might and tenderness. His power and mercy displayed in his cross and resurrection. But these passages during Advent remind us of another truth. There is still more to come. Yo, know, this is why these two passages are so important for the church today. We too are recipients of the fulfillment of the promises of God's word as we await the second coming of Christ in which he returns and sets everything right and makes all things new. Although we do experience the power and care of Christ already. Like God's people, we still long for the day when Jesus comes back again with his final flesh 
a power, a final tender gathering of his saints to himself. So we can identify with the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages when it seems hard to remain faithful or when we fail altogether. So what should we do until this day? <clears throat> and how can we, in this Advent, allow God to shape us through this word? Let me give you three things. Number one, take this time to repent. Take this time to repent. If you are a non-believer today, today is the day you can receive the good news that Jesus came to save sinners and is our strong protector and embraces the weak and the frail. If you want that protection and care, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And as believers, we need to believe the good news and rely on our strong comfort instead of relying on ourselves. Friends, we cannot save ourselves. We need more dependence in the church and less self-sufficiency. We need more dependence in the church and less self-sufficiency. I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me, church. The wilderness will crush our self-sufficiency anyways. But Abbott is a time of preparation. And I would rather humble myself instead of having God humble me. But if we do humble ourselves, here's what's good news. We will find God waiting to embrace us in our humility. And it's a strong and tender embrace. Number two. Verse 9 of Isaiah says, lift up your voice with strength. Friends, in this season, we as a church need to pray for boldness like Acts tells us to. And say to a dying world, behold your king. But first, let us behold our king ourselves. After all, what we behold it's what we like to share. Isn't that right, church? It's what we like to tweet. It's what we like to TikTok. It's, like we, it's what we like to book and gram about. What we behold is what we share. Maybe this Advent season, here is our challenge. We all cultivate more ways to behold our King. It will inevitably come out that which you put in. Together, if we put in our collective witness as we love one another in faithfulness to Christ as he commands us, that love will eventually woo our neighbor back to God. And the third thing, which is super important, if you are discouraged today, find comfort in the promises of the good news of Christ, no matter what season you are in, on the mountains or in the valley. Rejoice in the power of our King. Find your comfort in the bosom of Christ. The promise 
as though our flesh might be inconsistent. Our God is faithful. Our flesh is weak, but our God is strong. Think of this. What, 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 what might happen if we were able to combine these two things? What if the word that will stand forever became flesh? What if all of the faithfulness of God was embodied in fleshly humanity? What if God could step in, come to a place of obscurity in all of his perfection and immortality and clothe himself in flesh and weakness? And while man failed at it, step into life and become a flesh that is faithful to the very end. Well, here's what you would have. You'd have Christmas. We'd have the incarnation of Christ. We would have Emmanuel, God with us. We would have comfort. We would have peace. Because as John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and did what? Dwelled among us. Thank you, John Mark. And our psalmist says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. Faithfulness sprung up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Friends, comfort became incarnate. And his name is Jesus. In all your wilderness wanderings, in all your shortcomings in life, in all your failure, he meets you there at Christmas. And in his footsteps, we find the way, Psalm 85, 13. Friends, this is the gospel. This is good news. This is the reason why our spirit cries out with the saints throughout the ages. Behold our God. Our hope is rooted in the assurance that God pays personal, tender, and powerful attention to us. What wilderness do you need him to meet you in? What comfort are you crying out for? I have a word for you today. He is speaking tenderly to you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He is speaking tenderly to you. Behold, your God, rely on my strength. I am your tender God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Peace has its powerful and tender arms around us. Comfort has a name and his name is Jesus. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. Let's pray. Father, so grateful for your son Jesus this morning. And Father, I pray that we would see the comfort of Christ this morning. The comfort that you gave us is a promise that will not ever fail. And Father, I pray that we would believe it as your church in this Advent season when sometimes it may seem tough. We would believe it to the very end of our whole lives, Lord. And you would do a work in us in this season that would set us free, Lord, and make us a people who trust in your word. And Lord, that this would be a sure foundation for us, the words of Isaiah 40. Lord, and Father, I pray that you would speak tenderly to all those who need comfort. And Lord, I'm thinking about First Thessalonians, Lord. 
Lord, you would encourage the faint-hearted today. Father, would you do this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.